Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The big story, Colin Powell has passed away at the age of 84. The former Secretary of State, former Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, dying due to complications from COVID at the age of 84, as I said. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. The phone number, 833-got-tony-833-468-8669. I need that number in uh, the hands of truckers. Because we've got a question. It is very obvious because of our unique perch, our unique place in in America, coming out of the heartland, that we have a connection that others don't and they can't quite comprehend and they aren't reaching out. Well, as we hear more and more about supply chain issues, we are reaching out. And we want to hear from you. I'll, I'll have that coming up in a moment. But there will be a lot of people with a lot of social media talk about Colin Powell. Conversations about whether or not going into Iraq was right, whether or not he lied to the country, whether or not his service to the country uh, matters. How was he as a statesman? What was his uh, purpose in the days of of Donald Trump? And what did he really offer uh, the country prior? Uh, People are going to have an opinion every which way but loose. I say let him. Let him. I find myself as somebody who is not angered by by uh, Colin Powell regards to uh, getting into war with Iraq. I find myself much more bothered with the Colin Powell that, as I see it, did not engage a conversation of value for conservatism. But I find this true a lot with a lot of that Bush set, certainly with Jeb Bush, certainly with George W. Bush, and, and a host of others. A, a, a lack of grasp on what I have always believed to be conservative values. And I see every now and again, you'll, you'll see a group. Uh, uh, Bill Crystal says this. Bill Crystal is conservative is laughable. That Bill Crystal was a spokesperson for conservatism for a great number of years is not. What happened was, and just so we are all clear, this is not a conversation of principle. This is a conversation of not losing. Why can't you do both? Why can't you win, engage conservative principle, talk values, and simply not lose all the time? This is what the American conservative is asking, and there are far too many who think that that question in and of itself is a not just a usurpation, but an abdication of conservative principles, and I say no. When Trump was getting elected, and and they would, would tell me, had these people on the air, that I was giving up uh, conservatism, that conservatism will never be the same, I said, that's not true. I'm electing one guy. I'm not changing decades worth of study, hundreds of years worth of study, a value system that creates value. Sure enough, we were right. But I had to take a look at my options. That's what the rational person, the conservative, does. Trump or, or, or Hillary, you choose. <laughs> I chose wisely. It worked out pretty well for all of us.
Uh, now that you've uh, seen the people who selected Biden because they didn't like mean tweets, who, who, where would we have been better? Hasn't worked out for them. Unless you work for the Biden administration, it hasn't worked out for you. Which brings us to the whole Pete Buttigieg insanity, but you gotta, you got to hold on for that. Part one of that insanity, where I, I think that so many of these conservatives who gave it up for, for Trump hate, and, I, and I, I do think that Colin Powell, to an extent, uh, to a large extent, is in that group. Uh, but I'm not going to deny the man's history, and it is an amazing history, and gone at the age of 84, and I think the people who are, are celebrating his life, uh, right, rightfully so, rightfully so. The reason I brought up the truckers, the reason I bring up Pete Buttigieg is this supply chain conversation. There's a wonderful, wonderful write-up from Rich Lowry over at National Review. And it is about, do we understand really what's happening in this conversation about the supply chain? Do we understand exactly how bad these things are that when we when we talk about christmas and not getting gifts something we've been talking about well over a month guys it's over you're not if if you're looking for that little electronic doodad you cannot be serious about ordering that thing in november or december and actually getting it there's no way you asked Pete Buttigieg about Christmas? What I know for sure, or, or the other holidays, what I know is that the holidays are going to be a lot better this year than they were last year. Uh, because a year ago, millions of Americans were sliding into poverty who now have jobs. And a year ago, a lot of us were uh, gathering with loved ones over a screen. It's going to be different this year because of the president's leadership, because of being able to get more and more Americans vaccinated and make that available free to uh, every American. Uh, and uh, th- those are just a couple of the reasons why we can expect a much better holiday season this I find Pete Buttigieg smarmy as can be. I always have. Uh, producer Ari hates me for it. But, man, I called that one early. Early. <laughs> you called it. Yes. And uh turns out I'm right. It's going to be a better Christmas because more people have jobs. The amount of open jobs is absolutely unbelievable. The amount of people still engaged in some level of, of uh, support from uh, the federal government, which works as a disincentive to work, is massive. And the amount of people who have businesses who aren't able to get the product from the ports, I don't know if they're going to be having the merrier Christmas. This is not necessarily a need. There, I shouldn't say not necessarily. There is absolutely no need for spin here. Just do the work. And I'm not saying you're going to get it handled. I'm saying the spin proves that you're not interested in the work. You're interested in the politics. You're interested in, in, in the window dressing and not in the physical structure, what it takes to create one. Rich Lowry's piece over at National Review talks about the weirdness of American infrastructure. And it starts with this knowledge that I did not have until last week that American ports, West Coast ports, do not operate 24-7. I had absolutely no idea that the ports do not operate 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I would have, I would have just thought that a rational thing. But let's be clear. It's not a bad thing that we didn't know. It's that we do other things. None of us are longshoremen. Very few of us 
are connected to the world of, of, of trucking and shipping. It's something that we would have thought of, but we didn't spend any time thinking about. The ports aren't open 24-7. That's the weirdest thing in the world. But there's Joe Biden to tell us that, you know, here, here's his plan. Here's his plan, and the plan involves having the ports open 24-7. So that's what's going to happen. Nothing but ports, and we're going to be quite all right for it. Ah, if I could only do it right. That these ports are going to open and stay open and that we're all going to be fine. The ports of Los Angeles, the port of Los Angeles announced today that it's going to be begin operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This follows the port of Long Beach's commitment to 24-7 that it announced just weeks ago. Now, one of the questions asked is, are you sure about that? First, operating a port 24-7 does not mean you have the people to operate the port 24-7. You have real-world issues that make things busier. You have a lot more e-commerce, so you've got a lot more shipping coming in. You have these containers, uh, and you may not have enough of those. You've got to get these containers unloaded. Again, another labor issue, both on the ship and at the port. You would say to me, well, we can just automate the system. No, we can't. We haven't automated the system because of the International Longshore and Warehouse Union, which runs the ports up and down the West Coast. They despise automation, have pushed against automation. These people are being paid massive amounts of money. I'm hearing that crane operators of ports are making $250,000 a year. That's what they're making. You'll excuse producer Ari, he just left in the middle of the show to go be a crane operator. Holla! So when you say that the ports will open 24-7, you don't necessarily have the people to operate in the ports 24-7 because these people have to get hired through the union, and the union's only operating 16 hours a day. Now they have to operate 24 hours a day if they'll indeed do that. Never mind what kind of pay incentives they're getting for that, which is going to rise, raise the prices. And they don't want the automation because that's going to cause some of their people to be out of work. So we're still dealing with backlog. Now, what's so interesting is that until the past year, none of us looked at the supply chain as an issue. But maybe it was. And this is where the truckers come in. 317-833-GOT-TONY. 833-468-8669. That is the number. 833-GOT-TONY. I was, I was giving my Indiana number, just like, like a fool. Here's the question. How long has this been going on? Exactly how long has the supply chain issue been an issue for you, the trucker? Because we haven't even gotten into that part of it yet. And what's the one thing you would change to, to alleviate the, the, the stress, the pain, the issues that businesses all across uh, the Midwest are having? It is radical for people to judge and say, oh, it's going to be a Merry Christmas because we're not going to be on screens. It's not going to be a Merry Christmas for businesses that are dependent upon the stock, upon the product, and they can't get it. Man, do I hate a liar. Do I hate someone who tries to make it all rosy? All politics, all the time. That's Pete Buttigieg. That's why I call him smarmy. Damn it, I'm right. I haven't brought up the truckers because if we take a look at what we're hearing, 
there's a need for 20,000 more drivers. How about the fact that there's an issue with the number of chassis out there, which means there's a, there's a shortage of trucks. Then we're hearing about California saying if the truck is too old and doesn't pass certain levels of emissions, it can't even get in. So that's more trucks that are out of, out of service. Then there's California and Assembly Bill 5, which doesn't allow for the gig economy, which has prevented even more truckers. So you have not enough trucks. Not enough truckers. And you might not even have enough drivers as is. Then you have them waiting and waiting and waiting for product to be uh, put on the truck. While they're waiting, let's say they're waiting for their truck to be unloaded. You know that that, that applies to their amount of hours working. So if, it's, if they get to some place, it's like, okay, well, you're going to unload this thing in five hours. They can't just sleep then and then get back on the road. No, it counts towards their whole day. So they're dealing with these draconian rules that are keeping them from making a living and keeping all of us from getting the product. The point that Lowry makes in this article is the U.S. supply chain makes no sense. And that's correct. We can discuss this as a failure of, of Biden policy. We can discuss this as, as a failure in going back to uh, what tariffs may have done under Trump policy. We can look at this as a failure of the federal government under Joe Biden to de-incentivize or disincentivize work and incentivize people staying home, which has prevented us from being able to, to grow the nation. We could discuss this as a failure of not dealing with radical unions from the start and that automation is absolutely key and essential for national security. But no matter how you want to go about it, the point is we have to. It doesn't work. This thing that we took for granted that we have absolutely taken for granted, all of us, cannot be. The system does not naturally work. And for many of us, we have seen exactly how tenuous this is. We've seen how fragile the system is, and no one likes to think of America as fragile. Yet it is. Yet we are. We haven't even gotten into supply chain issues for the manufacturing of medication. Haven't we learned enough from what the Chinese have done, the communists, vis-a-vis uh, vis uh, COVID? We've seen it. Yet what are we doing about it? Now, I know we got people on the line. I want you to just hold on right there. I got people reaching out on social media. I got people emailing Tony at TonyCats.com. What say the truckers? When did, when did this start? How does one solve it? Uh, these issues with the supply chain that are affecting us all, and we haven't even felt the real stuff yet. That's coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Truckers on the line, truckers calling in, truckers emailing. We're going to get to everybody. Stay right where you are. Tony Katz. Tony Katz, today, first, the grifters are going to grift. That's how, that's how it works. That's how it works. Grifters grift. 
and they make good money doing it. Patrice Cullors, who stole clearly, it see, this is this is me saying it. Seems to me, she stole a whole bunch of money from the people of Black Lives Matter. Remember, she was she started Black Lives Matter, the organization, which is a Marxist organization. Her herself openly a trained Marxist. She said the words. It's 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 not me saying it. She said it. Trained Marxist. She has now gotten a new gig after, of course, buying four houses for three point two million dollars. I mean that that's 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 what happened. Four houses, three point two million dollars. She has now been appointed a commissioner with the Los Angeles County Arts Commission. These people protect each other like you wouldn't believe. She's going to serve on behalf of the two million residents of the second district. Patrice has demonstrated her understanding of this and has experience using various mediums of art and community engagement to inspire and create change. Patrice uh, shares my commitment to equity and justice and will use her creativity to make arts and culture more accessible for the residents throughout the second district. So if I'm not committed to equity as they define it, uh, do I do I get to be an arts commissioner, or can I can I like get a grant for art? What what can I do? This is about control. We understand this, right? We understand that this is 150 percent about control. Control the medium. Control the message. Control the art. Control it all. That's what it's about. Every last bit of it. This is all what it's about. And in this case, utilizing government dollars to protect those they want to protect. Patrice Cullors lied to everyone associated with Black Lives Matter, has never done an ounce of good for people who are black. Show me the people. We would have already seen the, the, the big, big stories about them. Where are the people who are better off because of Black Lives Matter, who had their business rebuilt after it was destroyed? Nothing, it was nothing but complaining that BLM didn't provide them the way they were told they would. But she gets a nice, cushy government job. I mean, the problem tells itself. Ugly and sinful. What's the first thing truckers would do to change this supply chain issue? That's up next. I'm Tony Katz. So when did it all begin? Because it seems very, very clear that the administration doesn't want to answer what is really a very rational question. If we're seeing all of these issues with supply chain now, when did this all begin? Supply chain shouldn't be the thing where we're like, ah, Trump's fault. What are you talking crazy? Why must you continually engage this way? Why can't we say we have an issue? We have to change the way we do things. It's better for everybody. 
And so let's go about changing them. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. 833, got Tony. 833-468-8669. That's the number. That's how you get to be a part of the thing. You can email Tony at TonyKatz.com. I get uh, the emails. And, of course, on social media at Tony Katz. Find me there. But I've had some people, um, uh, you know, reaching out and, and sharing what the, what they know about it. Uh, let me go over what I asked. I, I certainly asked, when did this begin, this issue with truckers? When did this begin with, with the inability to get product from point A to point B? And then what's the one thing you would do to change it? What is the one thing that you could do to change it? That's the question. Let me go to Scott, who is on the line. Scott, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, when did this issue begin? You're, you're, you're a trucker. Do you do the long-haul stuff, or do you do more of the, the, the local regional stuff? Um, I actually do both. I'm mostly over the road uh, between the Midwest and the East Coast, but uh, the way things are going, sometimes they have to have me fill in just doing regional stuff. So when um, when do you see, when was the problem uh, occurring? When did the problem, in your view, start really becoming big? Well, from my point of view, I think it all started back at the beginning of COVID when they started doing um, all the crackdowns on people traveling and people staying home, shutting down of businesses. And in my personal opinion, it's, it seems like it was a fear-mongering, uh, like a chicken little paranoia, blew what I believe is essentially a super flu into massive well, that, wait, area. And then it, I'm going I'm uh-huh. to I'm going to interrupt you not because you don't have people who want to agree with you or disagree with you, but I, I want to make sure we're focused on the subject at hand, which is the idea of when the shortages began. So the shortages yeah. began, as you see it, as COVID hit because, well, people weren't showing up for work. Yeah, and that's why I'm saying that is because a lot of businesses were, you know, like we had a, a, a D.C. that might have had one case pop up. Well, next thing you know, they shut down the facility for like three days. So then now you get a bottleneck and then all of a sudden you have a shortage of drivers well, then we don't have enough drivers to hurry up and get caught up. But then once we do get caught up, now there's not enough supply to refill that pipeline. So it's kind of like a burping pi- uh, pipeline. You have a little trickle, then a big splurt, a little trickle, then a big splurt. And it really hasn't gotten any better since then. Um, just different reasons, but the same issue. Scott, I appreciate the call uh, very, very much. Let me go to Jordan, who also is on the road. Now, Jordan, uh, again, you you doing the the big hauls cross-country? You doing more regional kind of things? Uh, Mostly over the road, long hauls. So as you see it, when did this, these these bottlenecks, these issues, these uh, ability to, the supply chain issues, when did they begin? It, when they when they sent everybody home and not everybody's came back and this basically what I'm experiencing everywhere um, doesn't matter if it's for I haul food so it may be from the kill plant uh, they don't have enough people there to do the killing uh, and then say I take it to a storage facility which is basically what everything goes on here in the United States uh, they don't have enough people there to unload the trucks to reload the trucks so you you know you have an appointment you might wait anywhere from four to 24 hours to get unloaded 
Uh, and it's like that. It doesn't matter where you go. And the answer is always saying, well, we don't have enough people. But you keep seeing the signs out front. And they, every month they raise it a couple more dollars an hour. And they've just never got back. They've never got the people back. Uh, people are staying home. I don't know if it's this experimental universal basic income that's failed or, or what, but everybody's staying home and no well, one. I can argue that it's failed, Jordan. Like, like I, I can show you that. I don't think any of us even have to work at that one. Uh, the it's an, by the way, it's an interesting way to think of it. Was this a an experiment in universal basic income that failed? I think it's very obvious to see the real world effects of telling people, no, you don't have to go back to work. We'll take care of it. You're not going to get evicted from your home. We'll take care of it. We'll pay your rent or mortgage like they did in California. We'll take care of it with extended unemployment benefits. I think it's a very, very good way to look at it. But when COVID hit, people get sent home. They all didn't come back. And you add that on to Scott's conversation, the little drips and drabs of the bottleneck create much bigger problems. But as somebody who does the long haul stuff, Jordan, uh, you, you find yourself at ports and you find yourself... If you're waiting, you're at the whim of when the port decides to load your truck. Well, that's the point. If you got trucks setting, that should take a day to move this load, but then it takes another day to get it unloaded or loaded. That's a whole day that a truck's not on the road. So it really is at the, manif- or at the, at the places where you're taking the loads on and off. It's, it's not timely. So you got trucks just setting. Plus, I, the other thing I see is you have an older fleet of trucks now on the road. I'm seeing older and older trucks. The the big fleets aren't changing over because I, I think they have the same issue that the, with the car, new cars. They don't, the, the, the trucks aren't being replaced. They don't have the sensors. They don't have the microchips. And so we're running an older fleet. It's breaking down more. Um, you know, they can't be replaced. And then this fuel, the, the diesel price of fuel is going up daily. And it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's also taking people out. And I don't think people mention I think California passed a law here in August that uh, basically uh, if you were a leased operator, it means you own your truck but you're leased on to another company uh, to run their their DOT, uh, that they basically took those off the road. And in my opinion, that's that's probably 90% of the trucks that are hauling the containers out of the port. Are, are lease operators, and they and that started in August. And so that's Assembly Bill 5, which we have uh, discussed here uh, aggressively, that put an end to the gig economy, and as you're discussing, puts an end to those lease operators. I believe that's, that is what you're referring to. And, Jordan, I appreciate the phone call, man, so very much. So, I, you, you, I mean, two, in, two truckers independently both discussing it, it's COVID and that people didn't come back. And they didn't come back in a series of places. And so all of those places create ripples that don't get solved by the president of the United States saying, well, we'll open the port 24-7. Because you'll notice neither one of these guys talked about the port. Jordan didn't bring up the port. I did. Scott didn't bring up the port at all. If it takes a day to unload the truck when it should take an hour and a half to unload the truck, that's, that's me. That's my terminology. But it still takes a day. It's a day that the truck is not on the road moving a load somewhere else. What happens when you create the society that says only college graduates are welcome? What happens when you create that society? We could, I mean, this is it. 
It took one little shake of the tree, and here it is. What happens when you create a society that says, don't worry, we'll take care of you even if you're not working? Isn't this exactly what the squad wants? Isn't this the Ocasio-Cortez, Ayanna Presley, Ilhan Omar fantasy? The Bernie Sanders, the culmination of his work as a no-good commie. Isn't this the culmination of his work? And the answer is yes. I mean, you, you hear it right from the people. You hear it right from the people who are dealing with it. And, and, and let's be clear about one more point. The people who want to make this political are out of their heads. They're, go they're going to destroy us. And you got to wonder if they want to. And I believe that the answer is yes. There's nothing about this that should be political. You have to incentivize work. You got to see the value in these jobs because there is value. I am going to say this again for the people in the cheap seats. Not everybody should code. This constant push in society. Oh, you have to have a college degree. Oh, it has to be computer sciences. Oh, my gosh, you got to have a... What are you talking crazy for? What are you nuts? Do you think there's something wrong with working with your hands? Do you think there's something wrong with a bit of sweat? Do you think there's something wrong with, with at the end of the day, being able to look at the result of your work and saying, yeah, that was good? It's necessary. We've talked about the United States Navy, and we need to put more money into the military to build up the Navy. It doesn't matter what the leftist says about this social program and that social program. These things get ranked, and your social program is not as important as a fully functioning Navy. It's just not. Because with the fully functioning Navy, you can protect the nation and the shipping channels, by the way. Without a Navy, it can't work. The nation can't survive. So therefore, the Navy is more important than your nonsense, garbage, social media, not social media, social program, uh, anything. And by the way, it might not be garbage. It might actually have some value. But it's simply not as valuable as the need for a working Navy. You need people unloading. You need people trucking. You need this. Well, people don't want to get into trucking because it's all going to be automated soon. Well, this may put a little crimp in those plans. But you still have to get the good loaded and unloaded. That takes men and women of strength to get out there and do it. You have to incentivize the work. I don't see how this is seen any other way. This is a bipartisan problem that doesn't need a bipartisan solution. It needs the solution, which is incentivizing work and stop disincentivizing staying at home or disincentivizing work. Stop incentivizing staying at home. Much better. Don't pay people to stay at home. Don't pay their rent. Don't pay their mortgage. Don't pay their food. Don't do it. The jobs are there, and the nation depends on it. Oh, and if that means absolutely destroying the Longshoremen's Union, just rip it apart. National security does matter. I'm Tony Katz. Dismantling the systems of white supremacy, you say? Okay. I mean, this is what they're talking about. But it's 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 not just you. No, 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 no. It's it's the 
it's the white witches. No, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm, I'm, listen. Hi. This message is for the white spiritualists, the white hippies, and the white witches. The ancestors and the spirit guides sent me here to remind you that if you are not using those spells, the occult, those crystals, those candles, those herbs, your witchcraft to confront, address, and dismantle white supremacy as it lives inside of you and your ancestral legacy, you are not only doing this wrong, but you, my dear, are part of the problem. Um, uh, it, it. Um, but I, I, I don't, I, no, no, no one in my family is a witch. There, I, I have that cousin. She turned me into a newt. I, I got better. What is she talking about? What is she talking about? She makes this video. It's on TikTok. She's looking right into the camera. She's got to dance it around. This is the argument? This is the way I'm supposed to take you seriously? Oh, and she's not done. Child, and before you come for any biopic people, please know and understand that our spiritual systems have always been an integral part to our fight for liberation and our fight against white supremacy. So do your part. Go handle them ancestors of yours and dismantle white supremacy from within. Amen. That, uh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. Because I, I mean, uh, I, I can't find the witches in, 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 in my family. I, I don't know who would be. I, I don't even know how I'd ask. Pardon me. Uh, hey, uh, long lost cousin, are you a witch? Can't, can't do that. The more this nonsense goes on, I mean, we all have to deal with it. So the, the worse off we, we are. Uh, but, but by far, by absolutely far, the better off we will all be as this clown show comes to a close. If you want to make an argument about bigotry, that is fine. You are more than welcome to do so. But you can't make an argument uh, that states that you got to go out there and get rid of the white witches. Can't do it. Cannot be done. And every time something like this comes out, I only hope that school boards that push this kind of nonsense, they're the ones that are hurt. Meanwhile, the Justice Department wants the Supreme Court to block the Texas abortion law. This just coming out right now. Justice Department asking the Supreme Court to temporarily block the Texas law that bans abortions after six weeks. You know, why, why shouldn't they get involved? Why, should, why shouldn't they get involved this way? Uh, because they certainly don't want it to go the other way, which is bring the case in front of SCOTUS. Go on. Let's take a look at Roe v. Wade. Let's see if it passes some legitimate levels of scrutiny. Because I'm here to tell you, uh, nope. Does not pass legitimate levels of scrutiny. But the Justice Department doesn't want that. What the Justice Department wants is to ensure that abortion activists 
are super excited. That's what they want. That abortion activists know who's on their side. These people who simply just can't get enough. I don't know what they're going to say. I don't know what you're going to block it on, considering the Supreme Court already said, yeah, you can do this. It was the Supreme Court that that made the statement that as long as there's not an enforcement uh, you know, issue from, from the state, of course this can happen. So what are you now going to ask them to do? Stop the thing they already said was fine? This is trying anything to satisfy a very, very radical abortion-loving base. Meanwhile, you didn't hear what people judge had to say about the economy, and you have to, because it's epic. And John Stewart, swing and a miss. I'll tell you why. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz.